Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Great, great show I got planned. I cannot even believe it. Uh, Patrick Albany's coming up in just a minute because you know that starts my Mondays. And then I'm going to be joined uh, by Dr. Mark Strauss. Uh, he's written a book called Jesus Behaving Badly. Hmm, this is going to be interesting. Where did we get all these ideas about Jesus, him being meek and mild, Mr. Nice Guy, harmless, permissive, huh? We're going to find out from Dr. Strauss what he means because... Um, Maybe we're overlooking some characteristics of Jesus that we need to look at, and his book will explain that. And then Dr. Melissa Mark will be joining me in hour two. And I don't know if you signed up for her um, her uh, seminar that she did. We'll talk about that. She's just back from Norway, so hopefully she'll have some great Norway stories. That's all ahead. Let's take 60 seconds and get things started. Hi, this is Jim Garbo. Two of the most difficult jobs in the world are President of the United States and (laughs) Pastor of a Church. And I've been a pastor, so I know it's an amazing call full of great joys. But it's also full of, well, challenges, conflict, unrealistic expectations, relational strain, and loneliness. Pastor Appreciation Month is an important time for your pastors. So whatever you do, a heartfelt email, a handwritten note, or simply saying thank you, it carries more weight than you realize. There's power when coming together. When hearts and minds are joined behind a common cause, a common passion, a common hope. There's a spirit that takes flight and moves you to action in ways you just couldn't move by yourself. That's why every baseball team still playing wants the home field advantage the crowd will give them. Why worshiping together moves you in ways solitude can't. And why listening to Faith Radio and gleaning from the insights and experiences of a community truly connects faith to life. Faith Radio. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome to Monday. You know, Mondays I start off with my friend from the great state of Iowa, Patrick Albanese. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Glad I'm not in Mississippi, which I think is misgendered. <laughs> when did they start coming for the state names? I know. <laughs> you know. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Got to get rid of Arkansas. It's got Ark in there. That's religion. <laughs> yeah. Separates your church and state. A uh, vintage cardigan sweater worn by Kurt Cobain during uh, an MTV Unplugged performance. Just sold for $334,000. Oh, come on. Are you serious? I'm serious. Whoa. You can get a Mr. Rogers sweater for like 40 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he's saying, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Oh, I'd love to hear that in, in grunge. $334,000. You know, I will, I will say the sky is falling economically when people cannot spend $334,000 on a sweater worn by a rock star. Yeah. I will agree with that. That's when the sky is falling. 
That's when the sky's falling. People say, ooh, a little too rich for my blood. But yeah. the fact that somebody said, you know, actually, I have a friend, you know, he's got for sale. You would want this, but I, I have no idea what he's asking for it. He's got he's got Johnny Carson's couch. Oh, I wouldn't mind it's, that. It's, no, it's sitting in the garage, and it's you know it says property of the Tonight Show on it. And you think of the number of guests and the pocket change, the pocket <laughs> change alone. You know, every, you figure every time that Bob Hope sat on that couch, a Rolex fell. Something fell the out of there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, let's chat about what happened over the weekend because there's always stuff going on, and it's Monday, so it's time to, uh, of course, yes. sort of hash over what happened. Uh, interesting, the raid produced uh, El Baghdadi. And uh, ended his life. Interesting how yep. the Washington Post responded to it, though. Yeah, they called him an austere religious scholar. And I, I think a lot of the uh, uh, tabloids, I'm calling them tabloids now, kind of followed suit. And they talk about, oh, he started this little movement, this little movement. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's 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 amazing to think, are you guys really lionizing this guy? Because... He killed and tortured people, our people, other people. Uh, it's it's it, this Trump derangement thing is so disturbing that you think, okay, all right, you can't give Trump any kind of a, a victory, but you know, on the in addition to not giving him a victory, you're saying, you know, I don't even know if this is a good thing. I mean, this guy, look at look what he did. It's you know, was it Mussolini made the trains run on time? You know, not all bad. Just it's so crazy, and yeah. the and the the headline does say austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State dies at forty eight. Just somehow or another died. Somehow Some, he passed on. Yes, yeah, and uh, they ended up correcting the headline, and they didn't apologize. They said, "Well, I, I guess it didn't really reflect what happened." It's like, really. <laughs> Uh, and they've been they've been going crazy trying to either make this guy look not look so bad or, you know, the other is, well, you know, this was going to happen whether Trump you know decided or not. And it's like, I'll give you that, you know, but he's the president. He's he gives it the OK, just like when Obama gave the OK to go after bin Laden. You give the guy the credit. It's like you're calling the shots and uh, you took the advice of your, you know, your military people. And they said, we can do this. And you said, go ahead. So it doesn't happen till he says go, just like it didn't happen with bin Laden until Obama said go. Uh, and he deserved the credit for doing that. Well, well, they ran on it. You know, bin Laden is dead and GM is alive. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so it's it's crazy. And I've seen people on TV saying, oh, he, and he, he called them names. It's like, yes, because part of the thing, I, I think if you understand a little bit of how Trump works is, you know, a lot of these people join these jihadi groups thinking there's glory in it. And he's trying to say to you, there is no glory. It's going to be, you're going to have a terrible death and it's going to be humiliating for you. It's not glorious. It's, you're not doing God's work. He's sending a message. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll cut him that slack on that. I, I, I think that, you know, it, you can hear him talk and say, you know, the guy was whimpering and crying and begging and whatever else he was doing. Uh, it's like, OK, fine. You know, I, I don't understand why some people are so upset about that. It's it's I, I, I see how they react to Trump voters. <laughs> I go, well, you wish really bad things on somebody who just voted for Trump, not an actual terrorist. So, <laughs> yeah. So what was I got to re- what? I'll have to replace him now, of course. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and, and ISIS will. And I think they found a guy. I think it's who's your bag daddy now. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> who, uh, what was being said about this picture in question as to whether or not it was a staged photo? What do you, what do you know about that? Yeah, I forget the name of some reporter somewhere. One of the it's it's the blue check mark Twitter people, you know. So they get a blue check mark, which means I guess they're really official and their opinion matters more than yours and mine. But he thought that the the photo of Trump and the generals uh, watching the raid was faked, and that Trump was really on the golf course because he said the timelines don't matter, don't match up, and apparently he made the mistake of not translating military time into actual like American time, you know, and uh, allowing for, you know, also time differences from zone to zone. So he looked at a timestamp on a picture and said, aha, that doesn't match up with when this raid supposedly happened. Well, by the time that got corrected, he had been retweeted, uh, you know, tens of thousands of times, which then all of those people got retweeted. So the story just went out that Trump was on the golf course. He wasn't even there. And uh, then this picture, then what did he do? He ran back from the golf course and they staged a picture to make it look like he was watching this happen. Hmm. Even at that, I thought, let's say it did go down that way. Okay. (laughs) He trusts his people, says, go take care of business. I'll be on the golf course. You might not like it. But, uh, and then they said, well, we should probably get a picture to memorialize this occasion. You know, I think in the Iwo Jima picture, you know, they took that a couple of times. And I think they just recently found like the real Iwo Jima flag raiser because they had the wrong guy because they had one where there were guys that actually raised it. And then they went back later and says, we really should have gotten a picture of that. Hey, you guys over there, you guys, go, could you go do that flag raising thing? We yeah, I picture? remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't see people storming the castle over that. They're going, well, I guess that makes sense, this memorialized thing. Either way, it's to me – I guess I look at it and I say, do you guys have to make an issue out of everything because it's fatiguing? It's just so tiring. We can't have good news that a guy who is a sworn enemy of our country and kills our people has been uh, put out of our misery. Instead, it has to be turned into a political hit piece. And it's tiring. I got to think people are just tired. It's like, oh, gosh, can't you just leave something be and say, good, we got a bad guy. I know the two guys on this show right now are tired of it. Yeah. And talking I, about, yeah. Talking about you and me, and I think there's also a lot of listeners that would reflect the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, there's, and I think there's a false sense of uh, our betters, you know, these elites, so to speak, like they were booing at the baseball game last night, and it's in D.C., and I think they, they, they like to believe that they're representative of the majority of people in the country. Uh, so many people I know, I says, you, you can't forget that Donald Trump got 63 million votes. Okay, so that is not marginal. That's a big deal. Uh, you ever you heard of this rapper? His name's YG. I've never heard of him. I haven't either. But uh, I guess he was performing somewhere in Texas, and he brought some guy up on stage, uh, just you know, pulling somebody out of the crowd, a fan, and then he wanted the guy to denigrate the president and say some rather colorful words, you know, say it. And the guy, to his credit, he goes, "Nope, not going to do that." 
And so the rapper kicks him out of the stage, kicks him off the stage, kicks him out of the concert. But he was so confident that, well, of course, everybody here must think as I think. But he grabs a guy up and to that guy's credit, go, what a brave guy. He ends up getting kicked out of a concert that he paid money to go see. So he's like, no, he's there. He's there. He is with a star who's saying, do this. And he says, nope, not going to do it. That That's the disconnect we have right now. People are really, you know, I, I don't think you and I delude ourselves. We understand the country can be quite divided, but I, I see there are, are, are some of the more elite people think everybody thinks like me, don't they? Mm, yeah, that's healthy for a democracy. Let me take a break, Patrick. Patrick Albany is, is, of course, my guest as we get our Mondays started. We always do uh, with Patrick Albany, my friend and colleague from prestigious West Des Moines. We'll take a short break and we will be right back. Welcome back to the show. You know, Mondays, I get a chance to talk to my friend from the great state of Iowa, Patrick Albanese. He's with us on our Skype line. Patrick, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, and right I, for, we're right around the corner from uh, No Shave November. Are you going to do the, the traditional, just let the back go? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking. No, I probably will. Probably will. Probably will. Yeah. yeah. So your old uh, stomping grounds, California, seems to be on fire right now. It seems to be on fire. Yeah. It's, I saw uh, pictures of the 405, and boy, it is not looking good at all. No. Uh, you know, normally the, the traffic moves at a crawl there. I, I can't imagine how frightening it must be to be stuck on a freeway like that as flames might be approaching. Right. Um, and it's near that Getty Center, and, and the, the museum is so beautiful, that whole area up there. Uh, yeah, and I remember a lot of this stuff, you know, when we had a an issue years ago where they stopped clearing dead brush up that, you know, is basically kindling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's kindling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then we started having more of these wildfires that would spread because you light that kindling on fire. And, you know, every fall in California, you start to get these heavy winds. I think that the Santa Ana winds and, you know, so some of this stuff goes up and kapowie, it just starts to blow and go. And it's just so sad. I, I, I get to see a lot of my friends, you know, saying, checking in, I'm safe. But uh, I think it, with the fire they had a year or two ago, I had a friend that got pretty close. And he had some pictures. He says, this is my view. Wow. Haven't asked me to leave just yet. And, uh, you know, he made it. But, uh, you know, and then also they they build so much in these mountains now, uh, which they didn't used to do. But uh, it's it's so sad to see. Mm-hmm. You, know. you know, I saw a survey the other day that one in three millennials see communism as favorable. And I used to think socialism was what they saw favorable, but it turns out it's communism now. Well, socialism is the gateway to communism, right. isn't it? Yeah, so you, that's just the, the next step over. Yeah, it's I, I, and I don't see – I saw a thing that came out and somebody had priced Elizabeth Warren's plans at $4.2 trillion per year. Mm-hmm. It's just for most of them, not all of them, just for the biggies, which, of course, is pretty much our whole GDP. Right. And uh, he, he said, you know, you, 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 you can't make this work. And this is only, you know, halfway to socialism or communism, and you can't make the numbers work. And so I, I say to these kids, I go, where is all this money coming from to get all this free stuff? 
I mean, there's not enough. Well, there's I know just not enough. Our parents enjoyed the Medicare Medicaid program because they paid into it for 45 years. Yeah, and I think I I, I saw a really interesting story on that where a woman was who is uh, um, an economist said, you know, one of the reasons why people are so happy with it these days is the ones that are, are taking out of the program are getting four times the value of what they put into it over the years. Mm-hmm. But that obviously can't sustain itself uh, because, of course, you start with a couple of things. When, you know, 40 some odd years ago when people started putting money in, the population was 200 million. Now there's 300 million. There's more people putting in than taking out. But those numbers will go topsy-turvy at some point in time because obviously our birth rate, we're not replacing ourselves. So we'll get an older generation. Japan's gone through it. A lot of countries go through it. And they go, oops, we got more people on the taking end than on the putting in end. Mm-hmm. And if you decide in addition to that, that you want to put everybody on it, well, there's no way that you can have every person in America receiving $4 for every $1 they put in. It's going to have to be less than $1 for every dollar you put in because, you know, there's administrative costs. <laughs> <You're going nowhere. laughs> mm-hmm. So I think, well, and then if in addition to that, you say we'll include illegal aliens uh, who haven't put anything in, you say, well, if you're giving people who haven't put anything in, in then people who have put something in are going to get even less out. It can't sustain itself. It's just mathematically it can't work. So I don't know how these politicians are going to make a move to the center and saying, hey, you know, I was kind of kidding about the for all thing. You know, I, I don't know because it seems so drastic. Uh, and I we have a very nice health insurance plan. And, you know, I think if, it, if that were our only issue in 2020 and we were having to vote for the person who said we're taking that uh, health insurance that you have away and we're going to give you this government-run program, you take every other issue off the table, that alone would have my wife and I saying, yeah, that's not going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Not with my vote. You know, we worked pretty hard to get to this point. And I know some people might say, oh, you're just selfish because, you know, you got yours. It's like, well, we worked for ours. <laughs> we did work for it. And to have somebody just take it all away all of a sudden. And don't we and- want all able-bodied people who can work to work to enjoy that level of satisfaction that you and your wife are enjoying? I would like to think so. I mean, I remember during Obamacare, which is so funny that, you know, it's only been 10 years since Obamacare, and that was supposed to fix everything. And now the people running are saying Obamacare is a disaster. What we really need right. is more control. You know, we only, you only gave us about 60, 70% of control of the healthcare industry. We want it all. It's like, well, you did a lot of damage with only about half of the control. So, yeah, it's. Uh, you would like to see, don't, don't people want to work? I'm pretty sure they do. I mean, I, we want to help people that can't, of course. We want to help people who are marginalized and who need help. We definitely want that. But if you're able-bodied and can work, um, yeah. you're going to be much happier of a person if you do work. Well, my, uh, my brother-in-law, who, as you know, recently passed away, and uh, he had muscular dystrophy. And he ended up taking early retirement from uh, being a college professor, but he wanted it to work, uh, but he, he, the muscular dystrophy had progressed so much that he needed to go on disability because he couldn't work full time. And suddenly they got all these rules saying, well, you're not allowed to work more than X number of hours. You're not allowed to earn X number of this much, or you can't have your benefits here. And so he's, he was always between this rock and this hard place of, it's like, he goes, I really want to work. 
collect the, you know, what I paid into, but they won't let me work much. So he had to go to online teaching and he was allowed to teach, I think, one class before he would start losing his benefits that he had paid into. So they always have, they're going to have rules on getting your benefits out. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's funny, you, you, you'd like to think, I believe I paid into that system. Can I have it? It's like, well, not so fast, buddy. Yeah. Not so fast. So let me jump to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. In verse 10 it says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. That seems so harsh. It does. And then in verse 12, it says, Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. So we want to help everyone eat, and especially the ones who need our help. But if you are able to work, it is a biblical command to go do so. Well, you know, there there is a, you know, if, if you said there was a universal basic income and somebody did the math in their head and said, I can earn whatever, let's say what a number, X number of dollars, not working. There might be people that choose to not work. And, you know, will that, will that be good for society? I, you know, my, my father-in-law used to always say, if you're curious about the efficacy, did you hear that? I said mm-hmm. efficacy. Mm-hmm. Not an easy word to say. No. I don't know what it means, but I said it, uh, you know, uh, of something Ask yourself, if everybody did it, would it still work? Would it be good? Would it be better for the country? Would it be better for your family? Would it be? So if everybody chose not to work, you'd say, well, is that good or bad eventually for the country? Well, it's obviously bad and not that everybody would choose not to work. But if enough people did, then you're going to have the people that are working to support the non-working that would at some point say, you know what? I think I like it over there that because I'm working too hard over here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not just a biblical thing about, you know, if you can, you should work. We want you to work. Uh, it's also, it's what sustains our society. And, you know, people that earn, they contribute to their churches and they do tremendous good works. Where else is that money going to come from? Because the government has to get it from you. Mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah. All right. On a lighter note, as we depart here, uh, there's a website I buy some equipment from time to time, and I just got an ad that says new lower prices. That was what the ad said. So that intrigued me. And the product uh, was original price was two hundred and ninety nine ninety five. now priced to 299 <laughs> <laughs> It's now 95 cents less. And they send out an email over that. Amazon had one of those, and I got a, a thing, and something went down like, yeah, 30, 40 cents. I was like, well, there's some, there's some savings for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, I was walking the line, but now with this deal, I'm I'm taking action. Yeah, I, well, I could see why you would want to take action on that. Is it free shipping? Uh, no. <laughs> it's amazing what you'll do. Oh, see <laughs> I was curious, you know, because, uh, you know, they usually have pretty good return policies. I tried returning an item uh, that uh, was ineffective, and they didn't take it back. So do you have any idea what you do with used lottery tickets? Any clues? <laughs> all right Uh, on that note i think we'll wrap up patrick thanks so much for doing the show sure yep patrick albany has been my guest we'll take a short break and be right back mornings with carmen laberge on faith radio
Welcome back to the show. Dr. Mark Strauss is my guest. He's a biblical scholar and professor of New Testament at Bethel Seminary. He lives in San Diego, so he has some explaining to do. <laughs> Mark, welcome to the show. What up? Great to be here, Bill. Thanks yeah, for thanks. having me on. All right. You you teach at Bethel, but you live in San Diego? Explain, because you're like my new hero. Yes. Well, um, we have had a campus in San Diego for 42 years. So um, now, having said that, they just closed it. So we okay. are now um, operating solely online, those of us who are out here teaching. And how many years have you lived out there? Oh, um, a long time. Okay. <laughs> Over 40 years. Wow. I've lived in San Diego County and have taught for Bethel out here for 25. I never taught at the St. Paul campus. I was the first one hired, actually, out of um, not, that didn't come out from St. Paul to San Diego. Are we calling that the dream job? <laughs> Seriously, when you we get offered to go move much. to San Diego to teach, isn't that like dream come true? Yeah, kind of distractions maybe. It's a little hard to focus sometimes <laughs> yeah, I, when I, the sun's always shining. Yeah. I get that, yeah. And do you miss <laughs> the seasons at all or don't you care? I do, I do. In fact, I was just back there. I was back there last weekend. I did a conference with well, my colleague Justin Irving on, about a book we just wrote, and it was nice to to be a little chilly for a change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the leaves are were gorgeous last week, so you probably Absolutely. came at a perfect time because fall is such a nice time of the year. Well, congrats on your book. Uh, are we talking about Jesus behaving badly? We certainly can. <laughs> no, no, no. I was I was thinking that was the book. Is that the one you wrote with your friend Justin? No, we, I didn't we wrote think so. um, Leadership in Christian Perspective. We've just written a leadership book. So Okay. Well, I, I'm kind of interested in Jesus behaving badly, and I would love to talk about that if you're okay with that. I'd be happy to talk about that. Cool. You bet. Yeah. Now, everybody uh, thinks that, you know, Jesus was Mr. Nice Guy, uh, always meek and mild. That's really not the case, is it? No, not, not at all. And everybody likes Jesus. That's kind of how the book begins. You look at even even people from other religions, Muslims like Jesus, they think he's a great prophet. Even atheists uh, like Jesus, they just think he was misunderstood by by Christians. Um, and, and yet he he said some pretty shocking things and did some pretty shocking things that if we just take them at face value, they they're um, they're quite frightening in some cases and and shocking in others. Yeah. And so we examine some of the hard sayings, some of the hard actions that Jesus did. Um, in this book. Okay, now I would love to walk through some of these because I think listeners would love it. And so if we can, let's start with judgmental, preaching hellfire far more than even Paul did. Yeah, people kind of think of Jesus as the really nice guy and the God of the Old Testament as angry, judgmental, and then Paul kind of picking up that stream. Um, But in terms of um, actually referring to hell and the dangers of hell, uh, no one talked about hell more than than Jesus. The, the topic barely comes up in the Old Testament, and, and Paul hardly ever mentions it, but Jesus, you know, he says, he, he, he warns um, his followers um, that, you know, the, the, the danger of hellfire, and, and tells parables like the sheep and the goats um, mm-hmm. that describe those who will s- suffer um, eternal destruction, yeah. And then people drifting away from biblical truth want to talk about sin and hell much less than they used to. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, certainly, it's not a popular Sunday morning sermon these days, um, the topic of hell. And yet, if you think about it, hell, hell is an essential doctrine if we have a just God. If if there's no justice in the world, if, if Hitler's going to get away with what he did with a mere quick suicide— um, then there is no justice in this world, and so hell is really the doctrine of of judgment for for wickedness, for evil that's done. 
Um, if we have a just and righteous God, then you have to have punishment. You have to have a God who makes things right in the end. So if we are going to be like Jesus, we're going to be warning people about uh, eternal judgment and, and hellfire. Absolutely. And of course, you know, even even evangelical Christians have somewhat different views on exactly the nature of hell. There's, you know, there's some who would hold to an annihilationist perspective that there'll be a period of punishment equal mm-hmm. to the sin and so forth. But but I think that the, the central doctrine that, that there is a God and that, that judgment awaits those who reject him and turn away from him um, is absolutely biblical. And it should not be something we sideline in our preaching and our teaching. It should be something we Bring, bring front and center, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark, Jesus was also uncompromising. Um, so talk more about that. Yeah, um, well, in a lot of different ways, he was uncompromising. He made some radical statements, you know, if, you're, if your um, hand offends you or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Yeah, hate your families. Um, he, you know, what was he that? He said, if you, yeah, if you don't hate your mother and father, yeah. um, you're not worthy to follow me. Um, and I think we we have to understand the nature of this teaching. I mean, there's no doubt that it's hyperbole in a sense, that Jesus is saying your love for, for God should supersede all other um, commitments, all other relationships. And and we have to remember he's, he's speaking in a time where his followers are, in order to follow him, they're going to lose family. Their family is going to reject them, disown them. Um, and, and so he's saying, you know, there are there are higher family relationships. Um our brothers and sisters in Christ um, are closer, are our true brothers, ultimately, our true sisters, our true fathers and mothers. Um, and that relationship should supersede all others. And so um, it, it does come down to hate in the sense that you're going to be hated for my name. You're going to be rejected for my name if you truly follow me. That's, that's a radical call to commitment. And we're seeing more and more uh, brothers and sisters who have left uh, being a Muslim to come to faith in Christ. And when they announce that to their, their father, their father will say, you are effectively no longer my son. Absolutely. And we have cases of actual uh, murders, killing, right. or, uh, you know, rejection completely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Mark, was Jesus uh, chauvinistic in any way? Was he excluding women from leadership? Well, you know, if you read J- Jesus in a 21st century context, it looks like he's exclusive because mm-hmm. he has 12 male disciples and and so forth. But I mean, he in many ways, he's radical in his cultural context. I mean, the classic example is, of course, uh, Mary and Martha, the story of Mary and Martha, where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Well, that would have caused a gasp in his audience that a woman would be sitting at his feet, which is a term for discipleship. The fact that women are invited into a discipleship relationship with the rabbi is is remarkable. And so, you know, he he has women supporters and followers. And so it, he really he what really was a liberating influence um, in his day. Um, and we have to read, of course, we always have to read the Bible in its cultural context, understanding um, how you know, the patriarchal society in which he lived and how he really did um, identify men and women equally as children of God, as part of the family of God. And how he included women in his uh, genealogy in Matthew 1. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, and and that's Matthew. Um, It includes, you know, four women in the genealogy, which is just radical. It's just shocking. Right. And they're also women in some sense who are outsiders. I, I wouldn't say they're all sinners, well, we're all sinners, but they're, they're, they're outsiders in one sense, which is really so much the message of the gospel, that yeah. God is for 
for the outcast, for the outsider. They yeah. all had pretty serious scandals attached to them. That's right. That's the best way to say it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, was he, would he be viewed as racist today with the way he would insult people from other ethnic groups? <laughs> yeah. The, the classic example of that, of course, is the Syrophoenician woman where he, she comes to him seeking to have her, her daughter healed, a, a demon cast out of her daughter. And he says, it's, hey, it's not right to take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. And he uses a derogatory term uh, for Gentiles. Um, and we were sort of shocked at that. And um, um, the, the, when we looked at it, at what, what he's doing, though, and how it follows, she makes a remarkable response to that. She says that even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus says, you know, you're right. Um, and he, he heals her daughter. And it's one of the most amazing stories in the Gospels because uh, it's, it's the one time, I like to say it this way, it's the one time Jesus loses a debate. It's the one time he acknowledges he's wrong and they're right. Hmm. He says, "Okay, you're you know, you are right. I I will heal your daughter, even though at first at first he refused. Now, of course, he's provoking faith. He knows exactly what he's what he's doing. But when he says when he calls her a dog, he's presenting what the disciples would have thought. He's presenting the, the Jewish perspective of his day. And they would have nodded in agreement when he said that. But he's teaching them a lesson as much as he's teaching her a lesson, that God's salvation begins with the Jews, but ultimately it goes to all people. And so she is claiming the right of a Gentile to be part of God's salvation blessings. And he says, bless you, you're right. Um, and he, he he heals her daughter. So it's it's really a, a beautiful story in terms of not only sort of the wit of Jesus, the, the rhetoric of Jesus, but the, the theology of the fact that God's salvation, which began with the Jews and came through Judaism in terms of the line of the Messiah, is for all people everywhere. Mm-hmm. So when I think of some of the things that went on with animal sacrifices, and when I think of, you know, Moses turning a river into blood, and, and Jesus cursing a fig tree, and I know we're just talking about Jesus right now, but uh, this is, sounds a little anti-environmental. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, animal sacrifices, especially today in our day of so many vegetarians and, and so forth, were, and, you know, cruelty to animals is a, is a big issue. Um, I, I once was I just finished preaching a sermon. A couple of teenage girls came up, and and one of them said to me, she said, um, I cannot believe in a God who would command people to kill innocent animals. And at, at first, my first response was going to be, oh, they, they killed them very quickly. They slit their throats. They died quickly. It wasn't, it wasn't very painful. But then I, I stopped, and I said, that's not the way to respond. And I said, you know, that is a horrible thing. Death is a terrible thing. If you've ever seen death take place— um, and, and that reminds us of just how serious our sins are, that, that our sins have to be paid for in some way, that they're in order for justice to be done. And so we have to die. And this is a vivid reminder of the seriousness. We forget how serious our sins are. So, yeah, animal, animal death is animal sacrifice is a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing, but it's a beautiful thing in the, the sense that it r- reminds us of the grace of God, what God has done for us in terms of the sacrifice of of his son. And then Jesus uh, willingly going to the cross to die the most horrific human death possible. Absolutely. To cover Absolutely. our sins. Yeah. Yeah. Now I wish there were there was more in scripture when it comes to understanding him overturning the tables in the and the and chasing away mm-hmm. the money changers in the temple because I try to picture that in my head and I assume at some point although the scripture doesn't talk about it I assume at some point some of these merchants are starting to get physical with him. 
They just don't. <laughs> they just don't let him do all that, do they? At some point, are they in his face? And of course, Scripture doesn't say it. But every time I see a depiction of it, it's him just tipping over the tables one at a time, and no one seems to be putting any resistance up. Right, right. Well, they were probably shocked. They, you know, they didn't know what was going on at the, at that case. But, but yeah, did he did he face resistance? It would be it would be nice to have been there and yeah. to see the kind of response that that he received. Certainly, I think probably he scared them because I mean he he was indignant. I mean this was righteous indignation, and and you can you can imagine the 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 fear that gripped them when they saw this pro- prophetic figure come right. in and and. Um, just chastise what was going on. Um, but that story, of course, and the the cursing of the fig tree are so important because they really tie together. When Jesus curses a fig tree, that fig tree is symbolic of Israel and of Israel's rejection um, of the Messiah. And what goes on in the temple is reflective of that. So it it, it happens the sa- in essentially the same event in Mark's gospel. He curses the fig tree, he clears the temple, and then the fig tree is discovered to be uh, withered. And Mark, Mark does this sandwich structure where he begins an episode, um, it's interrupted by another one, and then it's finished up. And, and the, the two go together. And so when we're trying to explain the, you know, the strange cursing of a fig tree, because there's no figs on it, we have to realize it's part of Jesus's prophetic action. It's a symbolic action to illustrate what's happening to Israel. Israel is not producing fruit, mm-hmm. and for that, Israel is going to receive judgment. So, so Jesus is essentially acting out a parable when he curses the fig tree. When he clears the temple, he's doing the same thing. Yeah. So Mark, uh, Jesus is clearly angry when he's overturning tables, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so that's, is he behaving badly, or is he, you know, could he have gone in and said, let's let's talk about this? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a time for righteous indignation. You know, when we see um, injustice in this world, we should be angry. I mean, you know, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Anger itself is not sin. Um, it's only sin sin when it results in, in negative actions towards others rather than loving actions. And if you think about it, turning those tables over is, is a loving action because it's calling Israel to repent from their sin. The consequence of their sin are, are, is death. And so he's calling Israel, lovingly calling Israel to respond positively. So righteous indignation, righteous anger should always be directed for the good of others, not for the evil of others, not to hurt others, but to call them to repentance. Yeah, really, really interesting, Mark. Dr. Mark Strauss is my guest. His book is called Jesus Behaving Badly, The Puzzling Paradoxes of the Man from Galilee. We'll take a little break. Lots more with Mark. Strauss is my guest, professor and biblical scholar in the New Testament, lives in San Diego. I like him already. He served on the Committee for Bible Translation for the NIV. Been doing that since 2005. Do you know Dave Veerman? Dave who? Veerman? Veerman. Yeah. I don't think so. I thought he was on that committee. Maybe not. David Instone Brewer is on the committee. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know him. All right. Um... Here's a question from a listener. Uh, did uh, Yeshua whip the merchants? He did he whip them? Yeah. <laughs> he whipped them good, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Did, did he actually hit them, in other words? I think that's the question, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure it says, does it? It says he forms the court and, and goes after them. Is he whipping the animals? Probably that's that's the way you would move an animal is, is with a cord like that. And so I think it's probably what he's doing rather than hitting the people. Yeah. So anyway, his um, Mark's book, Jesus Behaving Badly, The Puzzling Paradoxes of the Man from Galilee. So Jesus uh, told, you know, demanded moral perfection, told people to cut off body parts Um. You know, so he defiled religious and political authorities. So many of us think that he was just Mr. Nice Guy, huh? And, and yeah, I think that's the wrong way, you know, to describe Jesus as Mr. Nice Guy. Jesus had a mission to achieve. Right. And he was the Messiah calling God's people to repentance um, and then heading to the cross to suffer and die, calling Israel's leaders to repentance. So he had strong words for those yeah. um, who, who um, were acting in hypocrisy. And Mark, talk about why it's so important to know Jesus as he is, instead of just what makes us, you know, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Well, all of us create Jesus in our own image, really. I mean, we, we want a Jesus who, who fits our conceptions, our stereotypes, who, who makes things easy for us, really. Um, and so, of course, you know, you, you look at uh, a picture of Jesus and he's, you know, he's, he's the blonde hair, blue eyed figure, you know, for those of us in the West, if you go into a Chinese church, Jesus will look Chinese. If you go into an African-American church, you might have an African-American Jesus. There's a, there's a tendency for all of us to create Jesus in our own eyes Mm -hmm. um, and, and to um, make him fit our preconceptions. And so it's, I think it's important uh, to listen um, in the Bible's cultural context to, to what Jesus says, what, what he does um, and and try to understand him on his on his own terms, um, and and then to, to experience the conviction that comes from from you know being challenged by what he says and what he does. So a listener just chimed in and says um, this was an interesting observation. Jerry said I I noticed while watching the film Jesus of Nazareth when Jesus overturned the tables, the money changers were so busy picking up their belongings they had no time to attack <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. That's really good, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, what what are we? What have we forgotten or just never knew about the Jesus of the Bible? What are some insights from your book that you can share? Well, one thing I, I should tell you a bit, and I, I haven't mentioned this: how the book came to be is um, a guy named David Lamb wrote a book called "God Behaving Badly," and it's you know about the God of the Old Testament, especially the angry God, the yeah. the racist God, the genocidal God, these kinds of things, and seeking to explain those issues. And the book did fairly well, so InterVarsity decided to do some sequels and and asked me to write Jesus Behaving Badly. There's also a Paul Behaving Badly now, um, written by Randy Richards and and Brandon O'Brien. So we didn't actually come up with a title. People say, oh, you should never, you know, said Jesus Behaves Badly. Well, it's it's meant to catch your attention. And from the eyes, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of people's perspective, he, he does you know, he does behave badly. Uh, if we're talking about someone who's just condoning what's going on around him, and, and he certainly isn't condoning what's going on around him, he's he's challenging it. And and so your question is, what what do we need to know that we don't we don't normally think or, about? Or maybe we have forgotten, you know, as we think about Jesus. Yeah, I think I think maybe the radical call to discipleship mm-hmm. is one thing we've forgotten. I mean, when when Jesus says. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's so hard, it's it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Um, well, that means it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible as long as we are trusting in ourselves and our own wealth and our own riches. And there's a, 
there's a deception to to wealth and power. And we we do live in the most powerful nation in the world, the richest nation in the world. Our inclination is going to be justifying that, um, justifying our our life, justifying our lifestyle, um, in, instead of hearing the radical call um, to 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 love our enemies, for example. Um, that that even occur or that that's even necessary in the political sphere. Uh, we don't see a lot of love for enemies in the political sphere. We don't see a lot of love for enemies um, in the international context. Um, so I, I, th I think that Jesus made some radical calls. We have a tendency to choose to pick and choose what, what we want to hear or what goes along with our particular political or theological perspective and not hear the radical call uh, for um, turning the world upside down by, by radically changing the value system. Mm -hmm. And Mark, the authorities were so threatened by him and considered him so dangerous that they found a way to have him killed. Um, so how do we become, how do we act more like Christ today? According to scripture. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to get killed, but I'd be willing to, you know, if I had to. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think standing firm on our beliefs is, is critically important. But again, I would, I would add that uh, let's hear the real Jesus and not not the Jesus that sometimes we we make him into. So um, uh, are we are we willing to go to the cross, take up our cross and follow him? Or are we willing to actually live a life of, of self-sacrifice um, for him? Um, and, and what does that entail? I think everyone needs to take a look at um, their lifestyle, take a look at their relationships and ask, am I living um, a life that that honors Christ. Um, am I living a life that honors Christ with my time, um, with my talents, um, with my treasures? Uh, um, what what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? I mean, you know, Jesus says, "Leave everything and follow me." Well, we we're quick to say um, he was talking to that young man. He wasn't talking to me. Well, the moment we say that, uh, we are dodging. The statement, because the statement applies equally to us, that we have to follow everything to, to, to I mean, we leave everything to follow him. Um, it, it just, it, it may take a different form what that means, but uh, that's a pretty radical call. So I think the radicalness of Jesus is is no less than than um, it appears to be from, from our reading of the text. Yeah. Mark, was Jesus a bit of an agitator? Was he a, a revolutionary? Because I know he, he called his disciples to be peacemakers. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, he makes some statements and we talk about some of his statements like, um, you know, take up a sword and um, that he came, you know, not not to bring peace, but to bring bring a sword um, and and makes he may uh, some have suggested, for example, uh, Reza Aslan, a recent book called Zealot, um, argues that Jesus was, in fact, a violent revolutionary. That was his inclination. Anyway, he may not himself have taken up arms, um, but it's indisputable that Jesus made statements like blessed are the peacemakers that he that he said love your enemies uh, that he said when someone um, slaps you on one cheek turn the other cheek he was calling for radical love um, mm -hmm. the when when we are attacked we are um, not to simply be passive we are to respond but we're to respond not with anger not with hate we're to respond with love and that's that's the uh, the offensive task we take is 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 responding with love, and and that's a, a, a nearly impossible thing to do. When when we're hated, um, when we're attacked, 
the natural inclination is is to respond in kind. And so Jesus called for for radical radical love, just like Paul did. Um, the same thing. He said, "Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with love." And in Romans twelve, uh, that's that's amazing to say that. It's not just being passively resistant. It means attacking back. But when you attack back, your weapon is love rather than hate. Mm-hmm. And then he would say, "Let the little children come to me." So he's the perfect man. Absolutely, <laughs> Mark. <laughs> So nice to talk to you. And now you mentioned this other book right at the beginning. So I want to talk about that too, but next time, if that works with you. That would be great. Yeah. And the, tell me, the book has something of a radical thesis as well. So what's the name <laughs> of that book again? It's called Leadership in Christian Perspective with cool. Justin Irving. Oh, good. I'd love to get you back on the show. We'll talk about that. You're a fascinating guest. And uh, Dr. Mark Strauss has been my book, uh, my guest. And his book is called Jesus Behaving Badly, The Puzzling Paradoxes of the Man from Galilee. Mark, have a great day. Thanks, Bill. Great to be with you. You bet. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Melissa Mork will be with us the full hour. We're going to talk about grieving and having a sense of humor through all of it. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.